We come now to the reading and the preaching of God's word. And here to read our passage, Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 to verse 37, is Becky. Our reading today is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the word of God. Well, good morning. My name is Dan McDonald. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Toronto. And this morning we are continuing to reflect upon Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus clearly was doing something with the Old Testament ethics and principles that God had laid out. Um, And here what we see in this moment of fulfillment, Jesus is intensifying what the Pharisees had understood and what most people had understood the Old Testament law to be. Here he's talking about truth-telling and honesty. About eight months ago at a party, I was talking to a fairly senior manager of a major bank who worked downtown. He was not a Christian, but as we talked, we realized that the average age of the people that he managed was very similar to the average age of the people in our congregation. And so I asked him what it was like to manage those kinds of people because I had noticed certain trends. I said, for example, uh, people seem to just be fairly comfortable with being late these days. Uh, And he said, absolutely. He says, as a matter of fact, I just convened a major HR meeting on this fact. I said, really? Uh, Why? He said, well, the only way that I can get all of the people I manage into a meeting on time is if a C-suite level person is also attending the meeting. Otherwise, I'm getting texts right about when the meeting is starting saying, I'm going to be a couple minutes late, sorry. And then they just saunter in five, 10, 12 minutes late with no remorse, no guilt, nothing. He says, it's an absolute epidemic uh, in my, in my uh, area. Telling the truth, delivering on your promises, doing what you say you will do when you say you will do it. These things are increasingly being seen as kind of optional in our culture. We see it in our workplaces in the ways that he has described. We see it in our political leaders, where we just literally expect them to be fudging the truth fairly consistently. We see it in in our dating lives, where ghosting people is just now prevalent. We see it in people saying they will attend an event, but really... They're waiting for something better to come along, so that promise isn't really a promise. A major study done in five major uh, countries on dishonesty and attitudes towards truth-telling found out that the vast majority of people will lie and cheat a little to a lot. The article um, by two psychologists on this research has this quote, people lie to justify why they are late, They peek at classmates' tests during an exam to obtain a better grade. They fudge their tax filings fairly regularly to earn some extra cash. These researchers have shown that people will cheat, steal, lie, or mislead to gain external rewards like money, but only to the extent that they can preserve their their own moral self-image. 
Did you hear that? In other words, we lie enough to reward ourselves, but not enough to disturb our own view of ourselves, to preserve our own dishonest view that we're honest. We limit the amount of lying and cheating we do. One of the major architects of that study, Dan Ariely, points out that we keep these two polar opposite views of ourselves. One, that we are basically honest, and two, that we cheat and lie somewhat consistently. How do we keep these two polar opposite views together? Ariely says, we think that we're dishonest in ways that don't really matter. That's how we reconcile them. We want what I call wiggle room. Just enough room to occasionally lie or shade the truth when it benefits us, but not enough to be branded dishonest, especially to ourselves. But what this passage that has just been read says is that the idea of wiggle room has been around a long, long time. It's not just this emerging generation, but every generation in every culture since the dawn of humanity struggles with just this idea. And Jesus responds here by saying this, truth matters. Your words, your promises, they matter. He says two things here that dispel our modern and ancient view of ourselves. He says, firstly, truth. In your words and actions, truth matters to God. Secondly, so act that way. Let's look at these two. Truth matters to God, and secondly, so act that way. Truth matters to God. It's most of this small passage. Jesus says, again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Did you hear what he's saying? He's quoting Old Testament ethics found in the Ten Commandments and elsewhere that says, keep your word, do not lie, be a person of your word, perform the oaths you have made to the Lord. And this is the key clue to the meaning of this whole text. Because oaths back in those days, before the invention of paper, oaths had the character of binding promises, even legally enforceable promises. They could be used in judicial proceedings because they didn't have paper and they didn't have written contracts. So people often witnessed your oaths. And they were to a transcendent, ident- uh, a transcendent deity or entity and that's, that meant you would be allowed to be cursed or punished if you didn't listen to them. So here's the original principle Jesus is saying, the original Old Testament was saying. These oaths are before God. Therefore, perform to the Lord what you have sworn before Him. And then Jesus turns from the original meaning to the present practice. And the present practice is they swear oaths in very different ways, and then they parse them out. Well, if you swore it this way in this context, yeah, you can wiggle out of it. If you swore it this way, sorry, no wiggle room. It's the kind of semantic game that is used by people trying to get out of binding promises. We still do that. We still say stuff like, that depends on what is is, for those of you who remember that one. And here, Jesus is saying... There's no distinction between making an oath to one thing and to another. In Matthew 23, he gets very specific. He actually uses a concrete example of the kinds of wiggle room prevalent in his culture. He says, Woe to you who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, they're bound by the oath. You blind fools, he says. He goes on, you blind men. You say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, they're bound by the oath. 
you blind men. Which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it, i.e. God. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. If you take an oath by heaven, he says, you're taking an oath before God. But if you do it by the earth, guess what? The earth is God's footstool, and therefore you're still swearing before God. Oh, you want to make it by Jerusalem? That's God's city. Oh, you want to make it by your own hair? God's the one who makes your hair gray or not gray. You're always making these promises before God. That's what he's saying. And what kind of God is always listening to these promises? A God of truth. God is not just a truth-telling God. God is truth. He is the truth. Truth is one of his fundamental attributes. God doesn't just enjoy honesty. He's the very definition of truth. In Hebrews 6.18, it says, It is impossible for God to lie. In Titus 1, verse 2, it says, There was a promise of the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. In John 14, 7, Jesus, speaking about himself, said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is saying, I'm God, and as God, I am the truth. And in John chapter 16, speaking about the Holy Spirit, he says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. God the Father is the God of all truth. God the Son is the truth. God the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. When you make oaths, when you make promises, you speak before God's face. And that God is the God of truth. He is the truth. Secondly, because He's the truth, He loves truth. God loves when people worship Him, the truth. God loves when people live lives in accordance with the truth that he declares. God loves when people speak the truth to each other and live the truth in fulfilling their vows to each other. Listen to Zechariah 8, starting in verse 17. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another, and love no false oath, for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. Verse 19. Thus says the Lord of hosts, therefore love truth and peace. Why? because I love truth and peace, and because I hate lying. Proverbs 8.13, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech. I hate. God loves truth. He hates dishonesty and lying. Men and women, our words, our conduct matters to a God who is the truth. Our promises and whether we fulfill them, they matter intensely to God. He hates lying. He hates when people say they will do something and simply do not do it. You know why? Because we're made in His image. We were made to reflect Him and His attributes. And one of those, as we've just said, is truth. We were made to speak and live truth. But when we lie, we don't reflect that. We don't reflect Him. As a matter of fact, we reflect someone who is the antithesis of God. We reflect the anti-God, Satan, who Jesus says is the liar and the father of lies. Please, hear this now. There is enough wrong 
in a little white lie, the kind we use all the time. There's enough wrong in that little white lie to separate us from a God of truth for all eternity. There's enough offense to the God of truth in our little fear of missing out. I promise I'm going to go here, but if something better comes along, I'm just going to go there and forget about that promise. There's enough in that to cast you and keep you in hell forever. I'm not saying that a little white lie will land you there. I'm saying there's enough offense to the God of truth to land you there. So we need to take our words and our conduct seriously. Integrity of life, honesty of words, these things God expects of people made in His image. We're made to speak truth, live with integrity, act in accordance with the truth He gives. Now, I already can hear the objections rising. I can already start to predict some of the Q&A questions. Wait, wait a minute. All lies aren't wrong, are they? What about the people who, who lied to the Nazis to protect Jewish families hidden in their basements and in their attics during the Holocaust? What about bi- biblical characters like Rahab who lied to protect Jewish spies? What, what about, what about, listen, if you have people that you are presently sheltering who are about to be wrongly murdered, by an evil government, I grant you the right to lie. Okay? Are we good? (laughs) Look, there are almost always exceptions to every ethical rule, and there are here too, because behind every ethical rule is God's transcendent rule, which is, what is the loving thing to do in each and every situation? And so, yes, sometimes we do deceive evil people to save lives. And yes, sometimes we even keep our own honest feelings to ourselves because it might hurt others unduly. That's discretion. So let's be honest. There's a difference between being discreet and being dishonest. If you're being discreet because you love someone and you want them to flourish, that's very different than being dishonest because you love yourself and want to please and promote yourself. So let's stop for a minute. Let's take these questions that are arising in our minds and question them. Why are we asking them? Because I know my own heart. I know most of the time when I ask them, I want to I want to de- kind of move the debate into these little areas. I want to deflect and detour the debate so the main weight of this obligation doesn't sit squarely on me. I want wiggle room. So I'm asking us, let's leave the wiggle room aside. Let's leave those questions aside and let the weight of this wear upon us. God loves truth. God is truth. When we speak, what we say matters intensely to Him. When we make promises, whether we actually fulfill them matters intensely to God. Implications. Let's dispel the big lie here, the big lie that we're all honest. Let's admit, given that he's a God of truth and the words we say and how we obey and perform the things we promise matter to him so deeply, we're all guilty of being dishonest. We can't actually keep these two things together that we that we fairly somewhat consistently shade the truth in little ways and are actually honest. Let's take that one down and say we are all dishonest and in the eyes of God dishonest enough to incur his eternal displeasure. I know I am. I know not several months ago I was tired, I was depressed and I had a, a fairly draining meeting set up actually with one of you.
but I just wasn't in an emotional space to take it. And someone else who I knew, another pastor who I knew encouraged me, wanted to have lunch. And so I switched out that meeting with one of you for that meeting with that person who I knew would encourage me. Was it wrong? It was wrong. I didn't admit to it. I made an excuse for it. But it was wrong. I do that. You probably do something like that too. I know as parents, we often say yes to kids about something that they're too young to remember. In, in my next birthday, will you do this? Yes. And I know they'll forget. I've done that. My wife has done probably that. You've probably done that. We do this. And when they catch us at it, what do we do? Do we repent? Do we explain it away? At work, do we exaggerate our contribution to projects? I have that temptation all the time. I'm sure you do too. It's not only ingrained in us. In some places, it's expected of us. Do we pad our expense reports? Do we have lunches with people that aren't really clients and expense it? Yeah, sometimes we do. Do we have friends that we just say things to appease them or say things to make ourselves look good to them? Yeah, we do. Let's dispel the lie that we're just honest. We're dishonest at a degree that's sufficient enough to incur the displeasure of God and way below the standard that we were made for. Summary, truth matters to God. It matters intensely. And in light of this, let's assess ourselves accurately. We all fall short of that standard. We struggle at some level, almost all of us, with dishonesty. As a general human condition, we like wiggle room. And so we're willing to fudge the truth. But God, God loves truth. It matters to him. So second point, let's begin to act that way. Let's begin to take truth as seriously as he does. So let's, let's look at this last thing that Jesus says here in verse 37. After he has talked about oaths and that all oaths are before God and God, it intensely matters to him. He says, therefore, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. He'd said something before that. He had said, don't make any oaths at all. Don't take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Don't take any oaths at all. Instead, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So I want to clear away one question that a lot of people do have. Are we not supposed to do any oaths at all? Are we not supposed to swear on a Bible or some, or a Quran when we go um, to uh, witness in a court of law? Is he abolishing all those? Well, some scholars, I know R.T. France and John Calvin among them, think he probably is for this period of redemptive history. Uh, I don't agree. Uh, With D.A. Carson and a host of other scholars, I think that this is probably some form of Hebrew hyperbole from Jesus who's really getting after truth-telling. After all, God made oaths in the Old Testament, the most precious oaths that that we need him to fulfill, that he will be God to his people, that, that if you have faith, it will be reckoned to you as righteousness. And so we believe in those oaths. We find them good. Jesus, as a human being, came to fulfill those oaths. And in the Matthew 23 passage I quoted about, uh, you know, Jesus sort of critiquing people about making oaths by the, the temple or by the gold in the temple, he never tells them to stop. What he said is take them seriously. And I think with the majority of Christian um, people throughout history, I think the real issue here is truth-telling and truth-living. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. In other words, 
your yes should be the, the weight of one of these oaths that were being made back then before God. In our day, maybe a better way of saying is that your yes should be like, have the force of a binding written contract you've made. Now, of course, circumstances may arise that require you and release you from that yes to change it to a maybe or a no. But the point Jesus is making is still simple, striking, and profound. From the inside out, you should see truth the way God does and have such a love for truth and such a willingness to stand behind your word that you are imaging God in his steadfast embodiment and manifestation of truth. When you say yes, let it be binding. A couple of quick examples of letting your yes be yes. Firstly, make sure you can and will deliver on the promises you are making. Slow down that process of saying yes. Count the cost before you say it. I'm really guilty of this when I say yes too quickly and too easily. So here I'm speaking to myself. But to the extent that it it resonates with you, hear these words. Dan, don't say yes to appease someone. People-pleasing and white-lying your way around relationships is exhausting and wrong. Dan, don't say yes just to look good at work. Realize that everyone you say yes to is now a client of a kind that you owe a debt to, a debt of faithfulness to those promises. Whether it's a boss, a coworker, someone under you, your yes is your yes. Don't say yes just to look good at work. Don't say yes just to get the kids off your back because you are delaying the moment of confrontation and parenting when you will have to confront what you are deferring by saying yes. And if you have to say no, then you've caught yourself out as a liar and you've complicated and corrupted your relationship with your child. You have to either keep lying to hide your lie and explain it away, or you need to confront it and repent of it because you've made it bigger. Don't say yes to look good at work. Don't say yes to appease people. Don't say yes to get the kids off your back. Count the cost before saying yes. Secondly, when you do say yes, count the cost in honoring it. Honor the promises you make. By the way, this goes even more strongly, obviously, to written contracts. If you've got a contract, pay what you said you'd pay. Honor your bills. Pay them on time. Fill out your expense reports honestly. Honor those contracts you've made. But honor the promises you make, even if they're just verbal. Did you promise to make your attendance at an event good? Then make good. On that promise. Don't, don't, oh, wait, something better has come up in the meantime. That was just a marker. Don't do that. If you're, if you're guilty of, I know when I was, especially when I was single, I was guilty and I had to be called out by some of my old friends from school that I would often do that. I would, I would make a marker and then if something came up with my church friends, I would find a way to wiggle out and they finally called me on. I've actually lost a couple friendships because of it. Don't do that. Honor the promises you make. Honor the promise that you made to lead something, to serve somewhere. When you volunteered for a nonprofit, if you you volunteered for a church commitment, those are promises you've made. Honor them. If you have to get out of them because something urgent has come up, talk to the people. Be honest about what has happened. If you're struggling with the commitment, talk to the person you made the commitment to and be honest about the struggles that you have. 
If you're just not feeling it anymore, talk to yourself. We all have these moments where we emotionally aren't feeling the commitments we made. But go back to the fact that truth matters to God. Your integrity, your character, your promise-keeping matters to Him. Learn to walk your talk even when you don't feel it. Now, I just want to say this. In light of all this, be careful what you promise and how you do it. Um, I'm circling back, but be careful of promising too quickly without really considering the implications. That comes back to hurt others, hurt your relationship with others, hurt your reputation, and haunts your own conscience. Consider your promises carefully before you make them. And consider how you say you can fulfill it. If there is a question and a maybe in your mind, are you communicating that qualification? Learn to be really clear and honest about that. Let your yes be yes. Secondly, let your no be no. Be willing to tell the truth about your inability or your unwillingness to do something. Confront the pride that makes you want to look good and the fear that makes you want to appease others. You have to confront those two. Secondly, be willing to lose the occasional opportunity at work because you made a prior commitment and something has come up that may be an opportunity for your advancement or your reward, but you made a prior commitment. Be willing to lose that opportunity for the sake of the prior commitment. It will happen. You have to trust God that God will make up that opportunity as you build your integrity. It's hard, I know, because the immediate benefit screams at you. And the long-term integrity and character that you're building quietly whispers to you. Learn to listen to the whisper instead of giving in to the momentary benefit. Three, be willing to live out the truth in your life if you're a Christian. If you believe that Christ really is God and He really is your Savior, then the truth of who He is and what He teaches needs to be the guide that rules your life. This is more big picture. But God, the God who is truth, has objective truth for His people that transcend cultures and moments and contexts and times. The application may be contextually appropriate, but the principle, the objective truth, is transcultural It transcends time and generations, and you need to be willing to live up to what God says and not what the present momentary culture thinks. And you need to be willing to take the cost of that. Telling the truth, fulfilling your promises, and living the truth is costly. It isn't easy. If you're here and you're investigating Christianity, I can tell you it is something we can't and don't do in our own strength. We do cost-benefit analysis. We look for wiggle room, and we're willing to shade the truth when the benefits way outweigh what we perceive to be the costs because we're not looking properly at the God who's watching and the true cost of this. So here's the question. How do you get the power to live this kind of truth, a truth-telling, truth-living life in a truth-shading culture and age? The only way I found the power to do this is from the one person who's lived a life of complete truth. The one fully human man who lived exactly the way God wanted him to live. Who fulfilled every promise he made. Who never lied. 
but spoke and lived the truth. And that is Jesus Christ. It's the one who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. God, who is the truth, sent his son Jesus, who is the truth made flesh, fully human, but still the incarnate truth of God, so that he could show us how much God and he valued truth. He lived a life of perfect truth. He never lied, never went against what is objectively true about life. He never denied his father. He never compromised his father's ethics. He never compromised the sober truth about human pride and sin. He told religious leaders that no matter how religious they were, they still had sin in their hearts. They were serving at times their father, the devil. They were imaging him in their lies. He told political leaders that he was the true king and ruler of the world, even when it meant that they would contribute to crucifying him. He told his followers sometimes that they were acting in accord with the adversary of God, the devil. And then on the cross, God the truth, Jesus the Christ, took all the lies that you and I have said and all the lies that you and I have lived. And he took the monstrous offense of those lies in the eyes of God the Father, in the eyes of God the Son himself. And he bore the guilt and the indignation that he and his Father and the Spirit all had toward our lies, the disgust of God at our lies. And he died for them. And he paid their debt. And he extinguished their offense that we might be seen as truth-tellers, as perfectly true in the eyes of of God. Are we liars? Yeah. Liars we are. But the truth himself paid for those lies. Paid for all of them so that all who trust in him, though we are liars, we're forgiven. We're cleansed. We're guiltless. We're truth. And therefore, we have nothing to fear. Because the one whose reputation we should be guarding and caring about. The one who looks at us and knows everything about us. The one whose opinion of us we really should care about. That one knows every lie and has forgiven every lie. If we're Christians, we have nothing to fear. So we don't need to keep lying to protect our reputations. We can learn to take the fear down and be open about what's really going on in our lives and open about promising well, keeping those promises, telling the truth. And secondly, we have the spirit of truth inside of us, the spirit who loves truth and will empower us. And so in light of the fact that we have nothing to fear and we have the spirit of truth inside of us, let's do these two things. Let's firstly be honest about our dishonesty and repent and say it's wrong. It's wrong to be truth shaders. It's wrong to be white liars. It's wrong to be people who keep wiggle room so that we can change our promises. Let's just admit that. Let's repent of our dishonesty. And let's come to the truth himself. Jesus and his spirit for grace and for power. If you're here and you are not yet a Christian, you need to know you're guilty of being a liar. So am I. There's no difference in that way between us. The only difference is I've gone to Jesus and asked for his forgiveness for all of that. And you can too. And so you are invited right now to come to Jesus for grace, for the forgiveness of your lies. 
And so are you who are Christians. Go to Jesus today for grace, for shading the truth. And then all of us who've gone to Jesus, ask for the spirit of truth to empower us to love the truth from the inside out and to have our fear of being found out dethroned so we can be honest. And then we begin to become the truth tellers and truth livers that Jesus is saying where our yes is our yes and our no is our no. The spirit of Jesus lives inside the children of Jesus and he can make us more and more the truth tellers in our life and in our words that Jesus is. So let's do that. Let's go to him for grace because we need it. And go to his spirit for power because he wants us to have it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and praise you for your goodness and your grace. And now I ask that your grace would forgive us of all the lies that we have cherished and held, even the little ones that we think nobody's noticed, but we know now that you have. And let us be filled with the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of truth, so we can learn to banish our pride and be humbly admitting that we need your power and we can banish our fear and be willing to be much more open and honest. Help us to count the cost so we can say yes and mean it and do it and say no and mean it and do it and image you and glorify you by it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.